gather around friends new and old and welcome to the Power Podcast. I am your host, Philip. And I'm David, your other host. Not even a minute into the podcast, I'm going to do Relis unconventionally. David, I got a massage today. You know that I'm big into massages. Have you ever gotten a massage? Once. Once, Once I've gotten a massage, yes. I want another one right now because I'm feeling ridiculously tense and I need one. Yes. Well, yeah. So in case you don't know, I chose, I usually go and I know pretty good deals when I see them. I saw a cheap uh, foot massage for 36 bucks for an hour. Excellent deal. I go in there. The guy tries to do the normal thing of upselling me. I'm like, no, just I'll just stick to the 36. I go in there. And uh, part of the regular routine is to go in there and put your feet in a bucket of, of warm water so that way they're not having a deal. They don't know where your feet have been, yada, yada, yada. And I, hadn't, I wouldn't have thought anything about it because it was a dimly lit room and I'm just putting my feet in this warm bucket, done it a million times. Every time I go get a massage, pretty much exclusively, they do, they do this routine. So I'm used to that. What was unusual is that verbatim, this gentleman said, yes, in the water, there are Chinese minerals, verbatim, Chinese minerals that would help relax and soothe you. And then he takes out a flashlight and shows me the inside, the contents of this bucket that again, otherwise just look like water. But once he puts the flashlight on it, it, it looks a little yellow. And again, I... So here's here's where the conundrum and dilemma that happens because he then leaves the room to let me and my my now warming feet soak and cleansing and soothing feet just in, embody all these minerals, whatever they may be. My thought was, okay, if ever you had a question, not like I thought that this guy personally did this, but just if you ever had a question about a waiter spitting in your food, doing something funky to your food, at the end of the day, you could always say, hey. Would you mind taking a bite out of this? And if they say no, you'd be like, hmm, a little fishy. I kind of want some new food. If this person had, oh, I don't know, relieved themselves in my bucket of water, I guess my my ultimate question to you, David, is would you step in your own pee? Because I feel like <laughs> nobody's truly afraid of that. Nobody's truly afraid to step into their own pee and and so me asking, even if he were to accommodate that, it wouldn't solve the, the issue of me then being like, well, okay, it must be fine. Because you're not really doing anything. You just rinse off your foot. Okay, so you, you've gone on this little tirade here. Mm-hmm. You've got so many flaws in, in your little, in your thought Please. process here. Because, Dissect me. Because if, if, if I'm, like, I work currently at a bar now. I've got a job at a bar. Congratulations. If I brought food to my to my customers and they said, hey, um, uh, well, this is a little fishy. Could you take a bite out of this to prove that it's not? I would, even if there was nothing wrong with the food, I wouldn't want to take a bite out of it. It's not my food. So, first of all, there's that. Second of all, I guess, no, I wouldn't mind stepping in my own urine, but... Oh, I guess only I wouldn't necessarily want to do it, though. And what would the motivation be for this man to have done that? I really think you're overthinking it. Let me just say that. I was just worried that since I did not take the upsell, maybe he was a little frustrated. Maybe that's how we're fighting fire with fire now. Okay, well, if you you didn't pay for that extra service of non-guaranteed soaked urine feet, you didn't pay for that. That's part of our detox plan. You know? I mean, even if it was urine, 
was this man Chinese? It could still be considered Chinese <laughs> minerals. Uh, yeah, yes, no, it, it, no. I I have full faith that this gentleman didn't. Uh, yes, he was uh, of some of some variation. Uh, yes, he was. Uh, so I believe that it was just another pitch. But it, had he not done the act of actually showing me with a flashlight of all things uh, the the content and color of the water, I would have otherwise not even thought about it. Also, wouldn't it have smelled like urine if it were urine? I mean, I'd imagine because it's a fairly big bucket. You got to put both your feet in there. It's got to go to at least ankle. Nobody's peeing that much, so it's gonna be. It's gonna have a fair amount of of added water to it. So I'm thinking it might dilute the smell. I don't know. Okay, let's move on let's, from this. Please. Let's go and let's go to some other let's services. This is actually going to be a really informative episode, I think, <laughs> where you might learn something. You might actually come away from this episode feeling like you are more informed about things. And uh, so enjoy. I actually think this is a very, very interesting interview you're about to hear with a guest that uh, that I had uh, in person, live in studio, we'll call it, and uh, enjoy. Well, this is an interesting thing that we're doing here. I'm sitting here at 7.30 in the morning on a Saturday. I mean, I'm not usually awake at this time, but I thought this would be a good opportunity to interview somebody. I'm here without Phil. But I'm here with Rich, family member of mine, who is uh, works in the field of medicine. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, how are you this morning, Rich? I'm doing great. Had a good night. Well rested, ready to go. Always well rested. This is. Uh, I, I said we would do this this interview on Rich time, and uh, here we are on Rich time, early morning. It's well, not even I, that early, is it for you? For me, no. As you said, I, I work in medicine, so I get up early every day. For me, well, this is go. normal. All right, Rich. Uh, let's get to it. Um, if you can, and I know it's a complex job, but if you can, give us a brief overview of what it is that you do on a day to day basis in the hospital. Uh, your role, essentially. So I'm what's called a certified nurse anesthetist. So we do anesthesia for all types of sedation and operations. We do everything from interviewing patients to actually performing the anesthetic, as well as monitoring them in the recovery unit. Before we get into all that, uh, how long does it take one to study to get to where you are today? So there are different pathways you can take to get into this field. Um, for my pathway, you first have to be a registered nurse. Um, that obviously takes four years of education. Then you, you have to have a certain amount of what we call critical care experience. So that's experience taking care of patients in the ICU. Once you've done that, you can you know enroll for programs. If you get admitted, the, progr the program is an additional three years where you do your graduate degree as well as a residency doing anesthesia. So a total of time, at least 10 years. At least 10 years. I was in school for five years and did two completely different degrees and ended up where I am today. We won't go into that. <laughs> on the job, on a day-to-day on a -day basis, how much, how much do you interact with and talk to patients before they go under? Uh, do you feel like it's your responsibility to make sure they feel comfortable and ready? That's actually one of our biggest responsibilities. So the surgical team will interview the patient and, you know, do their prep work 
in the preoperative area, but we see them right before we go back. So initially about 15 minutes before we're ready to go to the OR, we'll go out, interview the patient, make sure that all of our paperwork's done, they're consented for the procedure, they're comfortable with the procedure, they know what they're, you know, what's going to happen that day. And then we answer their questions about the anesthetic and everybody has questions about anesthesia and how that's going to play out. Good, because I have some questions from Phil about anesthesia everybody does yeah and he's got uh, he's got some personal experience i think he's drawing from here uh phil phil asks how quickly does it take most people to actually get knocked out and was there ever a time where someone fought it for a fairly long time so we see the patient in the preoperative area we typically give them a little bit of medicine then that causes some amnesia so most patients don't remember going back to the operating room even though you're awake through that period once we get you in there we hook up all of our monitors which only takes a couple of minutes to get the basic monitors hooked up those are things like blood pressure and oxygen saturation stuff like that once we're actually ready to induce the anesthetic the drug we primarily use is propofol and of course everybody knows that drug from the michael jackson incident Uh, but it's a very safe drug and we use it i would say on probably 95 percent of our anesthetics that medicine goes through an iv when we administer that medicine it's typically about 30 seconds to two minutes to be fully asleep Um, even what you would say a more robust patient Two minutes is about the max. And that's actually what's great about that drug is you go to sleep so quickly because that transition phase is one of the more unstable phases. So the quicker we can get you from awake to asleep is better. Do you do do you do those um, methods? Oh, I don't know where they say countdown from 100 or, or try to name all the... <laughs> I actually try to name all the seven dwarves. And then. I actually don't know anybody who does that, but a lot of patients tell me they told me to count and I got from 10 to eight. Um, right. No, no one does that. And even if we did, the medicine I gave you in pre-op would probably cause you not to remember it anyway. So I right. don't even know where those stories come from. But no, we don't do that. I typically actually just talk to my patients and as they're talking, they drift off to sleep and stop talking. And I ask them things like, what do you want to dream about while you're asleep or something like that? I try to, you know, initiate pleasant thoughts, you know. Well, that's good. I've never been knocked out, but I I have been given a, a spinal block, yep. right? So just yeah, knocked out the bottom half. Mm-hmm. You do a lot of those as well? Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. do a lot of those primarily in the obstetric area, like for labor and delivery stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right, but we can do them, for that. Yeah, we can do them for any procedure of the lower extremities. And actually, even upper extremities, we can do the same type of block. Instead of blocking at the spinal cord, we just block one of the nerves that go to those areas. Hmm. It's actually very interesting because you can do those procedures wide awake. We often give sedation just for the patient so that they don't hear what's going on because that whole process is unpleasant and people get very anxious. Yeah, I was asked if I, if I wanted to listen to my iPod and I chose to, to listen yeah. to my iPod, which I don't know, I kind of regret. I kind of regret not, not listening. I mean, it would have all been in Dutch because it was when I was uh, when I was like 15 and, and yeah, I was I mean, living here. So, yeah, if you have the right mindset, it's perfectly fine to be awake. And some people for things like knee scopes will do a block and then they want to be awake and kind of watch the TV screen because you can actually right. watch the surgery on the screen. Yikes. So, yeah. Again, some people are too anxious to do that. So for sure. OK. Uh, Phil asks. When I was a kid and being put under, they gave me bubble gum scented or flavored gas. Now, I believe that option was just because he was a kid. But are there other flavors or scents a person can smell before they go under? 
Yeah. So that was definitely because he was a kid because um, <laughs> the IV starting process is pretty traumatic. We'll often drift them off to sleep with gas medicine through a mask. Um, the bubble gum that he smelt was probably chapstick that was flavored like bubble gum. And we just rubbed that inside the mask. And w- we have a variety of flavors, grape, strawberry, bubble gum. I personally like to use the bubble gum. And my rationale for that is if they associate a flavor with an unpleasant experience, I'd rather it be something like bubble gum that we don't want them to have a lot of anyway. <laughs> right. Well, okay. I don't want them to associate grapes with a bad experience. So I use bubble gum a lot, but that's what he was smelling. It wasn't the gas medicine. It actually has kind of a pungent smell. So hmm. when we start that, we'll do nitrous and a little bit of gas until you get, start to get sleepy. And then we turn the gas up so that you don't remember that kind of unpleasant smell. I remember when I, when I was getting my spinal block, the, the doctor said to me, uh, you should uh, you should feel like a warm rushing feeling through your legs, and I did. And then he said, "Well, uh, try to lift one one of your legs up." And I was like, "Well, I can still feel everything. Of course, I'll be able to lift my leg up." And I did, and I couldn't. I got it like an inch off the bed, and then it just flopped. Yeah, and that was it. Yeah. So the the sensory fibers for pain are actually even easier to block than the muscle fibers. So if you can't move, then you most certainly can't feel even. And another interesting thing about that is you'll remember your legs being in whatever position they were in when you went to sleep. Oh, no. So you might remember <laughs> and think the whole time that your legs are flat when in reality they've pulled your leg off to the side and draped it and done all these things. But in your head, your leg is still straight down. It's pretty interesting. Phantom, right? Yeah. I don't know if you've never had it done and you, you don't know, but if you ever felt like the felt your own leg when it's knocked out, it just like it feels like this weird gelatinous thing because you can't you can't feel the finger poking it but you can feel um, it on your hand but you can't feel it in the leg and it doesn't feel like a human thing anymore it just feels like this weird no thankfully i've never needed any of the anesthetics we we provide so you don't know what i'm saying you don't know what i'm talking about i do from patient experience because a lot of patients like you know after cesarean sections and stuff while the patient's still awake they still can't feel their legs and it i think it can be kind of unpleasant just not being able to feel your lower body Okay, well, Phil's uh, last question here, well, second to last, if I'm correct, there are rare circumstances where the patient is asleep yet conscious somehow. Has this phenomenon ever occurred to a patient of yours? And is there any way to detect that while the operation is going on? So that's very interesting because a lot of patients worry about that, right? You you hear those kind of horror stories and you see movies about it. I think Ashton Kutcher did a movie about it back in maybe the mid 90s or something like that, where he was apparently awake through a procedure, even though he was or his mind was awake, even though he couldn't move. Um, that was a phenomenon that used to happen even very rarely back in the day because the anesthetics weren't as good and the monitors weren't as good is what we have now. Um, The incidence of something like that happening now is probably zero, to be honest. Now, you can have moments of awareness. So like I told you before, we drift off to sleep with an IV medication. Typically, after you're fully off to sleep, we'll put in a breathing tube or do whatever's necessary for the procedure. And then we start to give you a gas medicine. So there's a little bit of a transition period there between the IV medication and the gas medication. And that's kind of a danger point to have a little bit of what we call awareness. But even if you had that little bit of awareness, it would be very brief and it wouldn't be during the surgical period. So what you might remember is I heard somebody talking. Maybe they said something, something. Um, But that could also just be a part of a dream as you're drifting off to sleep. So it's kind of hard to delineate that. But to actually be awake during the surgical procedure is almost impossible. And we have some really good monitors that would indicate those things. We're watching your blood pressure, your heart rate, everything throughout the whole case. 
And we also have a really neat monitor that we stick on your forehead that's kind of an EEG. So we can see a little bit of your brain activity. And we have a range that we know kind of indicates general anesthesia, and we keep you within that range. So if you were to have a little bit of awareness, we would see that number rise and we would say, okay, well, they're starting to get what we call lighter. And if we see you're getting lighter, we just turn up some anesthetic in some way, either through some more IV medicine or some more gas medicine. So the, the incidence of being actually awake through it almost impossible. I did, however, have one very interesting patient who he told me in the pre-op area that he had a photographic memory, like a true photographic memory. And he said he had had two previous anesthetics where he remembered the whole thing. Um, I don't know what they gave during those anesthetics, obviously, but he also told me he had enrolled for a study that was monitoring brain activity where they would put this EEGs all over your head and they'd ask you questions to see what areas of your brain would kind of light up. And he said he couldn't do the study because they told him all of his areas were lighting up almost all the time. So he, he obviously had a very high kind of brain activity at baseline. So we did a general anesthetic. I just did a couple of different kinds of drugs so that I wasn't just giving him one anesthetic. I gave him essentially three different things to dissociate his mind. And the next day I talked to him and he didn't remember anything. So I don't know how so you said that not on my watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was, we're not going to have that happen today. Okay. Um, but yeah, he said he didn't remember anything. But that's the only patient I've had who, who claimed to truly have awareness throughout the whole case. And he said he knew what was going on and he could hear everybody talking, but he wasn't he wasn't nervous about it or anxious or anything. It was kind of like he was just observing his own surgery. Wow. Okay. Last question from Phil here. Have you ever kissed anyone while they were under? No, that is highly frowned upon. <laughs> frowned upon. <laughs> That's that, a relief. That I think could we're cost, all breathe yeah, a sigh that, of relief. That could cost you your license, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. If someone were listening to this who maybe had some apprehension, not towards the surgery, but towards the anesthesia specifically, what, what would you tell them? Um, for example, I was anxious once about the spinal block that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, because it was a needle going into my spine and that was a frightening thought. And you once told me that I had nothing to worry about and likened that to something about spaghetti, cooked spaghetti. Yeah. So particularly with the spinal, a lot of patients are very nervous about spinals because they think this needle is going to be poking at their spinal cord. And in reality, it's one of the safest anesthetics. If we can just numb up part of your body and not have to do general anesthesia with most patients in most cases, that would be the safest route. And when we can do it, we almost try to encourage it because it is so safe. Obviously, you protect your own airway, you're breathing on your own. Those are things that are obviously beneficial in a safety term. Um, but as far as the the spinal itself, typically for low extremity spinals and for obstetric spinals, for things like cesarean sections, where we do the spinal is at the lower part of your spinal cord. And as your cord comes down at about your mid back or a little below your mid back, it goes from being a solid cord to being a bunch of little fibers. And that's actually where we're putting the spinal anesthetic. So as that needle is going in, even if they do brush up against the nerve, it's not your whole spinal cord. And you couldn't, it, 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 like I told you, it would almost be like trying to stab a noodle of spaghetti with a fork. It's just going to move. Now, as it touches the nerve, it can cause a little sensation, kind of like a funny bone down your arm, only down your leg. And that's not un uncommon, but it's also, also not particularly unpleasant or painful. And it's very transient. It would be a temporary little shock and then it would go away. But the ability to actually do long-term nerve damage is, is very, very low. Uh, would you say there's a, 
there's a lot of progress to be made in the field of anesthesia or is it well uh, just like anything else with medicine you don't know what the progress is we don't know what the next big thing is going to be right um i wouldn't say we've had any new drugs in the last 10 15 years that have really changed anesthesia but drugs like propofol that we talked about earlier those really revolutionized anesthesia the ability to go off so so safely so quickly to sleep was is really really a great drug um, but we do see things like new monitors get developed and stuff like that. And I anticipate anesthesia will be very different in 10 years. I just don't know how. <laughs> I don't know in what way. Okay, well, that's it for medicine. Uh, what is the best part of your day, Rich, before we, uh, before we leave here? I mean, it, it really is a rewarding job because a lot of what we do is is helping patients, right? Sometimes we're just do, doing things to make life a little bit better, but sometimes we really get to help a patient live a higher quality of life. And when you have those types of things, that's the best part of your day, just to be a part of that process. Well, there you go. Well, thank you so much for joining us here, Rich, and I uh, hope the listeners got a lot of information there. And something that, that we don't generally talk about on day to day, but you know, people, one day someone something happens and someone needs needs a surgery or something and and uh, maybe this uh, maybe this helps you know so maybe somebody hears this and they they feel a little bit more at ease about the process of having anesthesia because again almost everyone gets anesthesia at some point in their life and we tell patients as we're getting ready to go back that they took more risk driving to the hospital than they are going under general anesthesia it's a very safe process particularly when you have a professional who's trained to administer it and from an anesthesia standpoint our whole job is to keep that patient safe and comfortable so we're there just focusing on the patient the entire time so it's a very safe process all right well thank you so much rich and uh all right have a great day yeah my pleasure you too this episode of powwow podcast is sponsored by sides meet sides s-i-d-e-s an app that helps you take the law into your own hands Turn ordinary agreements into binding contracts in seconds then if a dispute arises sides will step in to resolve it for you what phil that one that was supposed to be my line what do we agree to in the contract? I don't know. I, I guess we can use sides to settle this dispute because each dispute costs a small one-time fee. And if you win, which I will, it's all awarded back to you. Sign up now and get 16% off for a limited time only. Basically, uh, this is Bite Me, one of our favorite mini segments. It's come back one around. of our favorite rejoins. We're, certainly one of our favorite, yeah, one of our favorite intros, intros there. Yes. Uh, where we give you our honest opinion, our controversial maybe opinion about something, and if you don't like it, you can go ahead and bite me. Phil, why don't you go first? I don't know who started this propaganda, but it needs to stop. Hard-boiled eggs are not the automatic social nuke that everyone likes to make it out to be. If you are a responsible, hard-boiled egg-savvy veteran, and you see somebody from across the room give you this judgmental look for popping out your little Ziploc baggie, and they're, they're judging you with disdain and utter hatred for how dare you? You know we're all stuck in this room, and you're going to defile it with your eggy, smelly thing. Look, listen, everybody. If you are a veteran and able to crack open an egg, it doesn't smell upon the crack, 
It's only whenever you actually go into the egg and get to the yolk of it. And I think any person that has had enough eggs will know, okay, we will go through that part as quickly as possible. So in conclusion, if you see somebody enjoying some hard-boiled eggs after a hard-fought day and after a hard battle opening up said eggs, don't judge them. And if you do, bite me. You know, it's funny. I mostly disagree with you, but but what that scene from The Office where they all start throwing up because because Dwight has to eat his hard-boiled egg at, at his desk is one of my favorites. <laughs> and you, my friend, would be Creed in the corner just eating his noodles while everyone's throwing up all over the place. Yep. Well, for me, my bite me. As I said earlier in the episode, I've been working at a bar and I work in at a bar in Europe and in the Netherlands here, everybody, I swear, everybody, every single one of my colleagues so far and pretty much 90% of the customers all smoke cigarettes. I honestly, I think some people are really going to be with me on this, but then there's lots of people, especially here, who would be totally against me. I think that even in outdoor public spaces, like in the terraces of restaurants, there should be this like this tucked away separate corner where you have to go and smoke your cigarettes. You should not be allowed to smoke your cigarettes on the general terrace where normal folk like me have to then sniff it and smell it all the time. It's horrible. It's disgusting. I hate cigarettes with a passion and I shouldn't have to smell them all the time. I swear over the last like couple weeks that I've been working at this bar, I've inhaled enough secondhand smoke to kill a small child. It's horrible. They should have to be shamed and like smoke in the corner of the terrace where no one has to friggin' smell it. Bite me if you disagree. You had a very informative main topic there. Well, you did, David. I didn't learn a thing because I wasn't there. But we we did and we did have a very informative one that one that we both enjoyed and both one that we both had questions during however let's talk about a little bit more about either ourselves or just our experience rather with surgeries david i believe you said you have uh, an additional maybe a, a an addendum to your your experience of losing the lower half of your body yeah, I lost the lower half of my body for basically a full day. I told most of the story. It was a couple of weeks ago now that I conducted this interview, but you know, I I had to get a cert. I had to get something removed from what I always say is the base of my spine or my lower back. But in reality, full disclaimer, it was the, the top. <laughs> it of was your between butt my butt cheeks. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, basically. And it was nice. nothing too serious, but so they knocked they knocked out the whole bottom half of my body, and it was a very interesting experience. Like feeling your own body parts when you can't like feel yourself. Like like I was poking my leg, and I like it feels like this weird gelatinous mass, and it's like you, it's very strange. Uh, and it's like it's almost it feels like dead. It almost feels like you're poking something that's dead because it's completely unresponsive. Uh, and then there was a, actually like a long recovery. So I had to I had to lie in the hospital waiting for the feeling to come back in my legs. And it came back slowly. And what was really interesting about it is that they they kept doing ultrasounds on my bladder to see if it was full or not. 
And I was like, well, I don't need to pee. So it's probably got to be empty, right? No, it was, my bladder was like full throughout the whole afternoon. And I wasn't allowed to, even though I could feel my legs and I could like walk, I wasn't allowed to leave the hospital until I could manage to relieve myself, which was so, I couldn't do it, which doesn't make any sense to me because if you can't feel anything, how, how are you holding in? Yeah. What muscles are contracting yeah, and I holding don't understand. wouldn't be released by the anesthesia. Right. I don't get it. I don't get why I wasn't able to pee. It was bizarre, but but and and like eventually when the feeling like really returned, I like I felt this like desperate need to pee and finally I peed like you know, this is so many details. I apologize if if you Who would have thought did, going into this episode that we would be, be talking, talking about so much, so much urine. about urine. <laughs> I well, we didn't see Just this one coming. of those days, man. One of those I don't days, know. yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so eventually I I got there and uh, and then I could walk and and I was able to leave. But there's nothing quite like feeling your own body parts, but it's, it feels like they're not even yours. Yeah. My story isn't necessarily one to do with me because I we might have talked about my surgeries before. I've had a couple. I don't know that we have. Have we? Okay, maybe we'll talk about that in a in a separate thing. Of, of I, okay. we might have talked about injuries and such that we've sustained. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought maybe we we brushed upon it. Either way, the one the story that I wanted to talk about and get your opinion on, even my sister went through a surgery when she. Well, I guess we were all younger, right? Technically, if it's years ago, but I was she, younger. You, you were younger. My mom was younger. I was younger. And so when she went through the surgery, it, it had to do with uh, with her head. She they had to go inside and and oh, work wow. around her brain. Yeah, it, it was a pretty big deal. And so it was, it was a fairly significant surgery. So in order for whenever they operate around your head, of course they use they still use staples. And so after enough time had occurred and she had healed fully from it, they removed the staples. And unbeknownst to me, apparently there was a conversation betwixt the family that, of course, now once I tell you. You will understand why I wasn't told because later on, I uh, I want to say around either my birthday, maybe her birthday, it was some occasion where gifts were given. I open up a gift and I see this little this little vial. Think of like a witch's brew potion bottle, but it's it's a miniature. Fits between your 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 two fingers when you're like this much. Whenever you're saying that statement, just put out your fingers and say this much, and that's how much. It's a little vial like that, and I I look inside and. What, what is that, Beth? What, it's because it's not wet. It's not liquid. It has like a cork on top of it. What is that? She's like, it's their staples. They were the staples that they put in my head. I was like, oh. <laughs> and and uh, again, on the one hand, it's very thoughtful. Again, it was a, a very serious surgery. We were all there in the waiting room when it happened. And and it, it was it certainly impacted her, her life, certainly in the immediacy. And then going forward, I'm sure it will. On the other hand, I, I I always asked myself, what did I do to deserve such a meaningful gift, right? <laughs> and so I've kept it all these years, but at, I, I always wondered at what point do I ever get rid of them? Do I do they stop losing their sentimentality? Will she, will Am I holding on to them to eventually give them back to her when she reaches an age where she might appreciate them more herself? I, I never, because again, it's, these were these staples that were inside my sister's uh, head, for lack of term, and it just it. I, I every time I look at it, I'm both I'm filled with very mixed emotions of of a very 
austere knowledge of my sister. It's a, it's an immediate draw into that that feeling, and disgust. It's an equal parts. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that is interesting. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Would you? Would you? Would you keep them? Like, am I? Am I? Yeah, I think you should. I, I like, but I just feel like you should never throw away gifts, especially for. Well, okay, you should never throw away gifts from people you know you still love. And I'm sure your sister fits into that category. So, no, I guess you kind of have to keep it. All right. Well, then I guess I'll be keeping it. And uh, maybe one day I'll be able to give it back to her. Yeah. Maybe one day you'll get your own staples somewhere. Hopefully you won't have to get a head surgery of any kind, but maybe you'll have your own staples you can give back to her. Yeah. Chicka boom! I love that every week. It, every it, week, that slaps the intro music never fails to make me happy. I love it. Anyways, that slaps. Of course, the segment of the show where we bring you the entertainment that entertained us that maybe deserves a little more pub than you might have found elsewhere in your life. David, what entertained you this week? So yesterday, I finished the finale. Of season three of The Boys. Oh, Phil. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. This show is unbelievably good. It is one of my top shows all time, I would say. Wow. And I remember last year, I would say, yeah, I would say it's probably top five. Top five, maybe like top eight all time. It is so good. And I remember this time, roughly this time last year, I said that season two slapped and season three slaps. It slaps. Yeah. You you wow. got to watch the boys. It's so good. I mean, you won't watch it until it's all finished because you're an idiot. But <laughs> but if you're not a weird like Phil, go watch the boys. It's so good. I mean, it's not for everybody. Let me say it's quite violent. It's quite graphic. It's it's quite it, graphic. Uh, it explores so dark themes. It's not for the, yes, definitely dark themes. It is not for the faint of heart by any means, but if you can handle it, it is so good. So good. It slaps. Well, my that slaps is nowhere near as gory. In fact, we're probably going to opposite ends of the spectrum here. My song that I'm going to be using for that slaps this week comes from Sister Sparrow, and the song is called Sugar. I'm sure the better version of the song of the same name from Maroon 5, upon which Hoffman probably does not enjoy nearly as much as the rest of the world does, but Sugar by Sister Sparrow. It slaps! All right, we've got a few thank yous to give out before we close out another glorious episode. Yeah, thank you to Cass and Crossland and to Jake Corlang for the music that you hear on this show. We couldn't do without you guys. Thank you to Tara Amstutz, Josh Hans, and Ryan Ardell for their wonderful contributions to the podcast. Guys, could not, still could not do it without your additions and contributions. Thank you so, 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 so much. And thank you to you. Yes, you listening to this entire episode, even to the bitter, bare end of this episode. Thank you so much. We're glad that we didn't put you to sleep. We swear we wouldn't kiss you in said sleep, but I digress. Thank you for listening to us on all of your favorite podcast sites, including Apple Podcasts, uh, including Apazon. Oh, Jesus Christ. Apazon. <laughs> Apazon. I know. I know. Oh. 
including Apple Podcasts. Per- what the? F- <laughs> you know what? You should probably just keep this in. This is hilarious. Including Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you can find your podcasts except for Pandora because <gasps> screw you, Pandora. Polar bears, black bears, grizzly bears, all different kinds of bears, but the most deadly bears are the ones found deep within the Amazon.